listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. It's located on page 787 in, on your, in your pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in, his, in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the, gra- clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who seek all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Cindy, for reading. If you guys want to be a lay reader, see Mr. Simboli. He does a great job picking out people for us right? That's a good plug for you. You appreciate me now? Awesome. Thank you. So whatever, we have read Matthew 6 completely out of order, completely out of order. This one is really hard to preach on uh, without getting us back into the context of what Jesus is really saying. Most of us have probably heard these verses, and usually they are pulled out of context and the message left within us feels empty and not helpful at all. Just stop worrying. Look at the birds, look at the fields. You're fine, everything's gonna be fine. That's all well and good until you're starving or poor or can't pay your bills or the list goes on and on. Before we jump in, please pray with me. God, open our hearts. Open our minds. Move me aside. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we don't find here some empty promise to those who are not getting what they need. Instead, we find Jesus the Son of God, calling us to the kingdom of God to live differently in a world in which God's hand and presence can sometimes be hard to feel. 
Remember, Jesus is talking to the remnant of Israel, to the Jews who were surrounded by the Roman government, often repressing them and their message of hope. Jesus is calling to God's people. Jesus is calling to all of us to be different, to follow the ways of God and not the ways of the world. The ways of God should affect the way that we approach life and politics and economics and justice. But Jesus didn't come to change the social systems. He came to change us so that we can change the world. I'm going to take a few minutes and do a quick recap through where we've been to get to where we're heading. I want to handle these verses well today. Matthew 5. That's where we started. That's the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. It was full of, you have heard that it was said, phrases, in which Jesus radically retaught the ways of God, lifting up the marginalized, lifting up those who are low, those who are on the outskirts of society, calling to the followers to embark on a journey to do justice and to love mercy. From the Beatitudes to the law to anger, adultery, lust, and loving our enemies, we hear what Jesus expects of his followers regarding true living out of their faith. From what religion had become to what followers of God should look like instead. And then here in Matthew 6, we have seen that the motivations of our heart matter more than the action itself. We're asked to give, to pray, to fast, all in secret. We're asked to really look at the why behind our action instead of just looking to others for the lifting up that we should be seeking God for instead. The righteousness that Jesus is calling us to is not the perfectionistic standard that we often feel like we need to achieve in order to have our life in order. Instead, he's calling for us to give for the benefit of others, to pray in order to draw closer to God, to fast in order to enter into God's sight of the world, to watch where our eyes are wandering, to not store up wealth and treasures, forgetting the needs around us instead. And right before this section, right before our verses pick up in verse 24, we find no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I will ask you again, and I will keep bringing this up, are you serving God or are you serving mammon? Are you choosing the ways of the world or the ways that Jesus is leading? Are you loving God and others well, or are you focusing instead on what you want and what makes you happy in the moment? We cannot live this life divided between God and their kingdom and the life of the world. We cannot be devoted to God 
and still be a full and complete member of this world of consumerism and me-centric culture. It's impossible. We need to put our possessions in their place. We need to check in with our heart's motivation daily. We need to bring it to God in prayer and allow God to continue to mold us and shape us into who God is calling us to be. And this leads us to today's verses. I'm going to reread to get us back into what we're discussing. And you'll notice I've left part of verse 24 here. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who seek all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. I'm finding another invitation here. We're invited as disciples to let go of the day-to-day stress that can eat us alive. We are invited to let go of worshiping mammon and start truly worshiping God. We are invited to see the world through God's eyes. We need to see the world differently if we are going to live differently. So we need to understand, too, the way that Jesus was living at this time when he's talking to his disciples. Jesus was actually talking with people who he has called to a very different way of life. We know that Jesus called these specific individuals to a life of discipleship and ministry and to a life of on-the-go mission right along with Jesus. Jesus is asking these specific people at this specific time to trust him, to trust that their basic needs will be met so that they can kickstart this new message of hope and, for, and love to those he was about to send the disciples to. Jesus needed to encourage these specific people, this 
group, not the poor at large, not those who may have overheard his message, but these specific individuals that during their missions, as they are sent, that God would take care of their needs. They were given a choice, just as we are given a choice between following God and what God was asking them to do and their regular lives. They were being asked to leave behind their fishing boats, their businesses, their families, their responsibilities to travel after this new itinerant rabbi. At this point, remember, Jesus only has four disciples that he has actually called to him. So he's really talking directly to this small group of people. And then we find later on in Matthew 10, after he has called the remainder of these disciples, now he's got all 12, Jesus sends these disciples out to the remnant of Israel specifically, and he instructs them to take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for laborers deserve their food Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is in it, is worthy, and stay there until you leave. That does sound like a fun trip, though, doesn't it? I would have so much joy out of just going and hoping that my needs are taken care of by whomever I find that is worthy. I can't even imagine what these people would be feeling in those moments. So Jesus is taking time to encourage them way before he sends them out. So they have time to to chew on those words from Jesus, just to use my last week's weird word. Jesus knew before the Sermon on the Mount was spoken that this would be part of the journey for these disciples. Jesus knows what our futures hold far before he asks us to do something big for him. Jesus is not saying that there will be no troubles, but that their daily needs will be taken care of during their mission for God. We see it modeled in the life of Jesus while he was on a mission himself, needing to trust that God would take care of his needs And within the model of prayer, as we learned last week, with the Lord's Prayer and its request daily for bread. So if this was very specific to these specific people, what message then does this have for the rest of us? We know that everything that Jesus taught is relatable to all of us in some ways. We just have to figure out what the message is for us 2,000 years later. What, What we're asked to do is a little different, but there's also a lot of similarities. First, I want to believe that Jesus is asking for us to trust God's provision, to keep our focus on the things that really matter. We can't love others well when we're focused on ourselves and on our families and our own needs and our own wants. God is asking us to have a different focus, 
to see the world as they see the world. Remember the question posed, are you following God or are you following mammon? Are we following wealth? Are we following the world or are we following God? When we are so obsessed with the world, we lose sight of what God is providing. We lose sight of the purpose of our lives. We lose sight in why we're here. And then what happens? Worry sneaks in. Anxiety about our day-to-day concerns, anxious feelings about where our next week's groceries are coming from, concerns about a whole host of things that instead God is asking for us to focus our attention on showing up in the ways that God is asking us to show up. We can shift focus to God's kingdom and God's provision instead. Not to store it up in warehouses, but to share with those to whom God is calling us to share with. Not so we can stand on the corners and elevate ourselves by our loud, wordy prayers in the afternoons. Not so we can fast publicly and hold signs on the corner near Walmart. Not to lift ourselves up, but so instead we can point to God and the hope that lives within the message of Jesus. The next point that we can take from these verses is that we can see God's provision and God's hand all around us in the nature that we are surrounded by. You all know at this point that I am a huge fan of creation, and maybe you don't love nature as much as I do, and so this might be hard to understand, but... There's a lot of times where I don't feel like I can connect with God inside a building or sometimes not even with shoes on. And I need to walk outside. When I'm here at church, I can walk down to the canal. I can go down to the Clark Street Pond. We called that the duck pond, but it's turned into a frog pond at this point. Um, I can drive to the lake. I love to sit and watch the birds eat. I really love watching the bees gather their nectar. I don't know why, because I have a slight allergy to them, but I still get really excited and I take far too many pictures of bees in flowers. I love watching nature. There is little else that has given me such confidence in God's hand. Nature declares the glory of God unlike anything else that I have experienced. And in our verses today, we find the examples of birds and wildflowers and grasses declaring to us that God will take care of us as he takes care of the world. But now this isn't really addressing those who are stuck in social systems that are breaking them. Humans have put in place so many systems that are destroying communities and nations and humanity itself, but God's 
original intention and original design was perfect. Did you know that there is enough for each one of the people living on earth to survive off, but that we have a major distribution problem worldwide? As a country, as a house, we throw so much food away, and that should have been and could have been shared. God's earth provides for all of us. The people running our world do not. The systems and people in power are concerned more with storing it up, making sure they provide for those within their immediate circle, and then they forget that people are dying due to hunger-related causes. So I wanted to do a little comparison, and I hope that this is not offensive to anybody, but I was very curious how many people have died from COVID-19 since the beginning. And that was 7 million people, and that's significant. And if I do some rough math since March of 2020 and the shutdown, we lost 7,000 people per day, and that's a lot for, the, for a virus. The world responded in big ways, throwing money at it and scientists, and they were going to slow it down, and in fact, they have. But here's another fact. Daily, 25,000 people die every day to hunger-related causes. 25,000 people per day for something that can be prevented if we were sharing. If we talked about sharing at a bigger level than just teaching our two-year-old toddlers to share, we could end poverty. What are we doing? I know that this is a digression. I don't know if digression is a word, but we're going to go with it. Awareness of these basic facts are important. Information like this I don't share so that you can feel overwhelmed and sad, but maybe if you feel a spark, this awareness can make action happen. All right, back to our verses. As we look to nature to see God's hand and trust that God's provision is available to us all, we find what Jesus is asking for us to really chase after. Read with me verse 32. For it is the Gentiles who seek all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. By using the word Gentile here, Jesus is not putting down those who were not following after God. He was making a point that the world seeks after mammon. The world is looking out for themselves and their own needs, but God invites us to do something different. God is inviting us to seek the kingdom first, above everything else in our lives. We 
are to seek the kingdom. Okay, I keep saying that. What's the kingdom? It's the fullness of God's blessing on God's people. Though we will not see the fullness today in this present age, we will see the fullness if we continue to direct our steps toward God, following Jesus with our whole beings, and allowing for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Now on the flip side, when we are struggling so much, when we are going after the things of this world that may or may not work out, when we are trying hard to get ahead and have expectations of life that are just not being met, when we thirst after mammon, we stop being able to see the kingdom life that is available to each of us. We're missing out on why we're even sitting here today. We are not meant to go after mammon. We were created and we were designed to seek after God and God's righteousness above the noise that we are surrounded by daily. We are to seek after what God has for us, to seek after the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are to share love in abundance to each person that we encounter. But we can't do this well if we continue to hold on to the yuck that has come up in our lives. We all have some level of trauma in some way, big things or small things. We have our regrets. We have our hurts. We all have our stuff which means we all need God's grace, God's righteousness, and God's kingdom come, God's will be done. We cannot do this on our own. We need to firmly hold the hand of Jesus and move forward, allowing ourselves to put down the stuff that we have been holding onto. We're sitting here, confronted by a Messiah who's offering us a way of life that, could, that can be so drenched in the gospel that we should ooze that love all over everyone we encounter. But when we're stuck in our stuff, we're not oozing the good stuff. We're oozing all the negativity that we're carrying with us. How could we be the people truly known by our love, by our fruit, and by our lives? How can we live in such a way that our very lives point others to Jesus? One of the ways that we talked about last week was letting go of the things that we hold on to, embracing forgiveness. Until we begin to put down some of these hurts, we cannot receive everything that God has for us. I don't have anybody throwing a ball at me today. Until we are willing to really look at what we're carrying, forward momentum is impossible. And now today we're looking 
at this worry being weighed down. Verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Are you sitting in a place of worry today? Are you thinking 10 steps ahead of where you are right now? I have this weird saying that I like to use, and I sometimes love to send pictures to my children um, when they're trying to get me to think 10 steps ahead. I take pictures of my feet wherever I am. I have a lot of pictures of my feet and my phone, and I did not choose to share those with you today. You only live once, and part of that means being in the moment, being right where you are with God right now. I don't always love the phrase YOLO. If you don't know what that is, that just stands for you only live once, Um, because our culture has taken that to extremes to mean that we need happiness and to, to do it because it's fantastic and it makes me feel good in that second. But what I mean is that we have one opportunity to love and to live well. We have one opportunity to impact the change that we want to see in the world. And when we allow ourselves to be loaded down with unforgiveness and worry and hurt, there's not a whole lot of room for other thoughts. On top of all this, I did have to jump onto WebMD just to see like what they say, the doctors say, that worry will do. Um, it suppresses your immune system. It can bring digestive disorders muscle tension, short-term memory loss, heart disease, to name a few. Um, Shortened lifespan really should be on there when you're looking at that. And what did God say? God says we're not going to add a single day, a single hour to our lives when we sit in a place of worry. So how do we do this? What do we do? This is where it gets tricky. I can tell you what this journey looks like for me, but I can't tell you what your journey looks like and what works for you. For me, it's a blend of time in nature, walking, yoga, eating healthy, all on top of prayer, meditation, reading my Bible, singing, spending time with others, talking about this kingdom life spending time with my friends and my family, and allowing God to lead me into the next thing that God has for me. Unfortunately, I don't think there's like a one-size-fits-all spiritual bodysuit. But when you find the things that fit, keep it. When something comes up that you begin to dwell on and you've been practicing what works well for you in the day-to-day life, following after the kingdom, you are going to be more prepared to set it down. The way that Jesus uses the word today versus the word tomorrow implies that we need to be in the moment, daily walking toward God, 
daily doing the things that we need to do to be centered on God and God's kingdom so that we are ready for the hiccups that will come because life is full of them. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.